We are starting a new conversation today. And uh, I would tell you that, that this conversation today is a timely conversation for Christ followers. Uh, especially in the world that we're living today, I believe this conversation is important for us. I believe it's also a t- uh, an important and timely conversation for Eden Prairie Assembly of God, EPAC. And so if you're new to EPAC today, whether you're online with us or whether you're in person, uh, I just want to say this is a good time for you to be here. Welcome home to Eden Prairie Assembly. And also, it's a great time for you to hear this conversation to know what we believe God is speaking to us during this time. Now, let me give you a warning as we jump into this series. This conversation, somewhere along the way, has the potential to solicit some passion some emotion, maybe even some defensiveness within people who lean all over the spectrum that we'll talk about. My email address is chris.cleveland at epag.church. Genuinely, I would love to hear from you during this conversation so that we can dialogue together. chris.cleveland at epag.church. And then if you like to drink coffee, I drink coffee on every day that ends in Y. And so I'd love to be able to sit down with you in person if you'd prefer to do that. I want to talk to you throughout this series on the theme of grace and truth. Grace and truth. If we defined grace, we would refer to it as God's unearned, unmerited, undeserved favor towards people. And if we were to define truth in a simple way, we would define truth as the revealed understanding about God. And the reality is the fullness of grace and truth are experienced only in Christ. Jesus is the truth and the revelation of all of God's desires and promises. And God extends great grace to those who will believe in and follow Jesus. Let me give you a starting point today. John chapter 1, John chapter 1, verse 14. You're going you're to get a lot of Scripture. We're going to land today before we're done in Luke chapter 15. Next week, Lord willing, we'll actually pick back up in Luke chapter 15 and continue on from there. But I want to start to give you an idea of where we're coming from, from John chapter 1, Verse 14. Part of this verse probably sounds familiar to you. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, notice the next phrase, full of grace and truth. Can you say that with me? Full of grace and truth. So what do we see in this verse? Well, first of all, we see that Christ, the eternal God the Son of God, the second of the Trinity, became a human being. We celebrate that at Christmas. Typically each year we think and reflect on the reality that He came to earth in the form of a baby and positioned Himself with some human limitations. Being 100% God, but being restricted in some way, if you will, to the human limitations of living on earth. We also know that Christ's time on earth revealed the heart of God, revealed the characteristics of God, and revealed the actions of God. Let me, let me summarize what I just said for you in this way. If you want to know about God the Father, 
All you have to do is look at God the Son. If you want to know the heart of the Father, to the point of even what Shelney shared a few moments ago, if you want to know the heart of the Father, all you have to do is look at God the Son during His earthly ministry. In fact, not only did John 1 tell us that we've seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, but John 5.19 takes it a step further. Jesus speaking, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by Himself, He does only what He sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. There's a unique relationship, a complete whole unity between God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, what I'm doing is what I see my Father doing. I'm modeling the Father. I'm modeling His heart for humanity. And ultimately, this is a good spot for us to be reminded, this is what God wants us to do. Jesus modeled the Father, now we are to model Jesus. Are you with me so far? We're to model Jesus. We're to learn from Him. Do you remember, uh, even several months ago, we talked about the journey with Jesus And we talked about how when Jesus invited those first disciples to follow Him, it wasn't to immediately go out and preach and be in ministry, so to speak. It was first to be with Him. And then He gives the instruction in Matthew chapter 11 that we are to learn from Him. So the journey with Jesus is about being with Christ and learning from Christ, and then the Holy Spirit helps us to live as Jesus would want us to live. Are you with me? Are you awake? Do we need coffee in first service? (laughs) Yes, everybody said amen to that. Jesus, John 1 tells us, was full of grace and truth. Now let's think on this for a moment. Jesus was full of grace. We're going to talk about this in a moment. Jesus had a tendency to eat with sinners, and to associate with tax collectors. We also see in Scripture that He had compassion on a lot of different people. And we see in the final scene of His life before death, before resurrection, we say that He even had compassion to save the criminal on the cross next to Him. That's grace. Today you will be with me in paradise. That's grace right? But then Jesus was also full of truth. Oftentimes, Jesus condemned the religious people of His day for hypocrisy, for saying one thing and living a different way, for telling some people that they should be doing X, Y, and Z, but they hadn't even learned how to live A, B, and C yet. He often talked about hell more than heaven, He expected his followers. Do you remember what he told his followers? If you want to be my disciple, you must take up your cross daily and follow me. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. That's truth. That's that's not as popular or as easy to absorb as grace. But Jesus was full of grace and truth. Jesus is truth. He's perfect. He's holy. He's righteous. He's just. There is no error in Him. There is no sin in Him. And yet, in His grace, God reveals truth 
And those who respond experience a great work of grace in their lives. And I think we can all agree, if we're believers in the room, we have an ongoing work of grace in our lives. Right? It's not just the grace that saves us, but I think we can firmly say today there is a grace that keeps us, that continues to work in us. There is a loving kindness and a compassion and a patience that is extended to humanity from God, even though we are unable to perfectly live to His standard. And God forgives us even in our failure as we believe and follow Christ and are found to be in Him. Now, I say all of that to say this. We want to be and to live like Jesus. So, we want to pay close attention to Him, how He lived, what He said, what He modeled, how He interacted with people, and then we want to be people who pray daily, Holy Spirit, help me to live the way Jesus does. Help me to live the way He modeled for us. I think it's safe to say as we start this conversation that as Christ followers, we can experience a little bit of a tension when it comes to grace and truth. How do we live full of grace and truth at the same time? How do we live in the world we're living today where there are many people who are broken and lost, many people who are living in sin and need Jesus, and at the same time... They need to know the reality of eternity, but they need to know it from people who are kind in sharing the good news. How, how do we live in this tension of grace and truth? I can tell you this right off the bat. I can tell you, and I, I think you will agree with me, this is something I want to get right. I want to get this right. Because I believe souls are at stake for eternity and if we, as the body of Christ, can get right living full of grace and truth, living like Jesus lived, we will make a difference in our world today. How do we do that? Let me, let me throw this thought out to you as to why this is such a tension. Truth without grace is mean. Grace without truth is meaningless. I'll let you reflect on that for a moment. Truth without grace is mean. Grace without truth is meaningless. That's not original to me. That's a statement that's probably been around for a long time. But let me give you an idea of what we're talking about. When, we, when we're trying to reconcile truth and grace, grace and truth, when we're trying to live full of grace and truth, we want to live like Jesus. The grace side of it comes from somewhere in Scripture like Colossians chapter 4. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. In our recent series talking about being kind to people, we talked about how we're to be kind with our words, how we have conversations. We talked about... This idea of being seasoned with salt, that salt creates thirst, that salt enhances the flavor of food, and that we're to be a people who enhance the world around us, who create a thirst for God in the people's lives around us. So there's this idea of kindness, of grace in our conversation, seasoned with salt, and, and to be wise in the way we interact with people. 
I think we can summarize it in a maybe oversimplified way. We shouldn't be unkind. We shouldn't be jerks. We shouldn't be meanies, as the word we used at VBX, towards the people around us, even if they're not just like us. So that's kind of the grace side. Then you have to reconcile that with the truth side of Scripture. And when you think about the day we're living, we think about Scripture like 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, that says, Preach the Word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Okay, we want to be wise to outsiders, but we have a real problem with a lack of truth in our culture today. You agree with me so far? Well, if you don't, my email is chris.cleveland.epag.church. So, so we're trying to reconcile. We want to be nice, we want to be kind, but yet there's this sense of... This sense of urgency, this sense of reality that our world seems to have taken the Word of God, demoted it to a place where it's debatable and able to be compromised. And so now we're, recon- we're trying to reconcile this idea of how do we love people and be compassionate and be gracious? How do we, how do we interact with them on a relational level that doors of opportunity can be open? And at the same time, there are people who tomorrow or today, could take their last breath and need to know the truth of God. How do we live both at the same time? You understand why there's a tension? Some of you are living this in your own family. Some of you are living this with coworkers. Some of you are living this with neighbors or friends. How do I, I love them, I want to I try to spend time with them, not compromising, not, not living in a sinful way or sinful lifestyle as they are, but, but trying to be kind, trying to be a, a person that can be uh, connected with them, but at the same time knowing they need to hear the truth. How do, we, how do we reconcile? How do we reconcile the urgency of eternity with understanding that God sees the long view And Scripture even goes far enough to suggest that at times there may be a farming season rather than just a harvesting season. Can we be patient enough to extend that love, grace, and compassion and to walk through the doors of opportunity to share the truth in those moments for that seed to be planted, which may seem like it takes a bit, and then may seem like it's not growing fast enough, and then may seem like we're just coming along and watering it, but we're not seeing any fruit from it. Can we live with a God of the long view, and at the same time, the urgency of eternity, knowing that today could be the day? It's a tough conversation. Grace involves kindness. Grace involves love, Love for souls, an ability to be led by the Spirit to see what people can be, not just what they are. Aren't you grateful that God saw us as what we could be in Him rather than just where we were when He found us? And then there's truth. and Truth involves the Word of God and God's way of living life and the ultimate preparation of eternity through Jesus the only way. And so here's the tension. What we often find when it comes to even Christ followers, especially Christ followers in this conversation, what we often find in the conversation of grace and truth is that people tend to lean towards one end of the spectrum or the other. 
There are people who live with a lot of grace, but without truth. So in grace without truth, Christ followers can make an allowance for things that God clearly calls sin. So we're dealing with a conversation in our world right now that all roads lead to an eternity for everybody or that everybody's going to end up in the same place at the end of all time. When in reality, Jesus said of Himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. Grace without truth. Grace without truth is when we get into this, this issue in our world where there are people living deliberate lives contrary to God's Word, but they're acceptable because they've used as an excuse or justification that God's Word was written years and years ago and times have just changed. We're, we're living in a time when God's Word is even being used to support viewpoints that culture celebrates. When truth is compromised, souls are in danger of being lost for eternity. When grace without truth gets to the extreme, it leads to relativism, moral relativism especially. When, when you have grace without truth, that means your truth may not be my truth, and my truth may not be your truth, therefore judge me not. You ever heard somebody tell you, don't judge me? I've had family members tell me, don't judge me. Because we would speak of things according to Scripture, but then they want to say things like, well, the Lord knows my heart and I live in grace. And grace in their mind becomes a, if we can use this terminology, a monopoly get-out-of-jail-free card. Okay? So the extreme of grace is all things are permissible. Everything goes. Well, then you have to flip the script to truth. And in truth without grace, Christ followers can present or intend to present biblical principles, but they do so in such a terribly harsh way that it drowns out what they're actually trying to say. Christ followers in our day today are seemingly seen to be more like angry picketers or hateful pick sharers on social media rather than people who care for souls and forgetting that people can be like sheep without a shepherd. Truth without grace. It means preaching at people rather than being with people and sharing the gospel in relationship. Many Christ followers scream the name of Jesus rather than inviting neighbors and co-workers and others to their table for a meal or over coffee or some relational depth that leads to conversations that center around the gospel. And it may not even be the first time you get together. When grace is compromised, souls are in danger of being lost for eternity. So you've got grace without truth that leads to moral relativism, and you've got truth without grace that becomes very legalistic, always correcting, often judgmental, and it's hard to get in without cleaning up first. Is this making sense to anybody? See, and I probably grew up, and some of you will know what I'm talking about, I probably grew up more towards the legalistic end of things. The whole, higher the hair, the closer to God. I got an amen in the back. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I mean, I, I grew up in the culture of no makeup, no pants for ladies, 
I'm, I'm serious about the hair. That's a real thing, the, the holy bun up there. I mean, it's real. And, and those people, what I found, those people are often tremendously critical of anyone who wants to talk about grace. And then we start labeling each other. Well, you're legalistic. Well, you're just... And then they start throwing political terms. Well, you're just conservative or liberal, and politics has nothing to do with the conversation. And we start labeling each other even. How could anybody become part of the body of Christ if they have to clean up before they come in? So my point in all of this is it's not just cut and dry. It's not just super easy. In fact, this can really be messy. Really ministering to people, really loving people the way Christ did for us is going to feel a little awkward at times. There's going to, there's going to feel, uh, there's going to be a lot of complexity. In fact, I'll go far enough to say today in this intro to the conversation, if you will, that I think our world is becoming more and more complex. And I'm here to tell you, it's probably not going away. So how do we live in grace and truth? Not to mention there is, a, there is an evil undercurrent in a lot of the things we see in the world today. We scripturally know that the enemy is at work. Not only does he roar around like a lion seeking whom he may devour, 1 Peter 5, 8, but we also know that when, when humanity chose to rebel against God, the authority of the world is now under that demonic control. So we know that there is an undercurrent of the enemy. And how in the world are we going to live grace and truth in the face of people who are under this control of the enemy? But we need to remember in all of this, Christ is greater and He's already victorious over all darkness, so He can use us. And we want to be like Christ and we want the Holy Spirit to help us and He wants to help us. And ultimately, we are the representatives of Christ in this world to carry out His work. So let me, let me potentially... Rock your boat for just a moment. There are some Christ followers in the world that seem to want to hunker down and isolate and avoid interacting with culture at all because if we interact with them, we might be infiltrated by them. If we interact with them, we might become like them. And they use scriptures like, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. And we understand that we're separated from the world. We understand that we're separated unto God and that God is working in our lives. But we also understand how in the world do you reach people people for the cause of Christ if you don't interact with them. If all we do is come to a church campus and gather with the body of Christ and go out and go home or have limited interaction with the world around us, how do we ever take the light of Christ into the dark places if we never step foot into the dark places? How do we ever see the light of Christ invade the darkness of a heart if, if we... If we come to this place where it's, you know, us four and no more, or people, are, people need to be saved and we can point the finger and talk about all the problems, but we're doing nothing about it. There's that issue, and then there's the other side of the issue where it'd be a shame to approve sin just because culture's pronounced its blessing over it. Or deny speaking the very good news that people need to hear about from Jesus just because they aren't the same color or because it's not popular. 
It would also be a shame that we choose to first stone or label or reject sinners without even trying to love them, without seeing that Jesus can change any life and without valuing people as people. Can we live like Jesus, which is ultimately living like the Father God? How did Jesus live? How did Jesus interact? What should we learn about living our lives full of grace and truth? In the last few moments, I want to take you with me to Luke chapter 15. Most of you are probably familiar with this passage of Scripture. In Luke chapter 15, the entire narrative is pointed towards God's value of lost people. The entire chapter is devoted to God's heart for lost people. So I want to, I want to start today in this conversation about grace and truth with an overarching principle that I think has to be the case in our lives in order for us to even remotely live the way Christ did, and that's this. We must value people. This is true in fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We should value one another. We're even told to motivate one another and encourage one another. We're told that we're to be on this journey together. Much of the New Testament talks about the body of Christ, not just about the individual. We're to be together. We're to be on this journey together. We should value one another, but we should also have a value for lost people, realizing that they are all souls, even if they don't sound or think or act like we do. How valuable are people to God? Well, humanity is the only part of creation made in the image of God. God put His mark on and even in humanity and has great value for every person, even for those who are not living in the identity that God designed. This means that no one is worthless, no one is unimportant. In fact, they're so important that God said, I want restored relationship with you, so I'm going to send my one and only Son to die on the cross to take care of your sin and shame and punishment that you really deserve, but I'm going to send my Son to go through through all of that so that you can then be free and have relationship with me. It tells me in Scripture that every person, every soul, every tribe, every race, every nationality, male and female, young and old, they all matter to God. And because people matter to God, people must matter to us. In Luke chapter 15, beginning reading in verse 1, just reading a couple of verses for today. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now this is not the only moment that Jesus was criticized for doing something like this. In fact, in Matthew chapter 9... Uh, Jesus has invited Matthew to follow him. Matthew has left the tax collector's booth and decided to follow Jesus. And Matthew hosts a dinner in his home 
for other tax collectors and sinners. And you can interpret that probably a lot of different ways, the word sinners. Everything you could probably think of probably fits that description. So Matthew invites these people to his house and Jesus has a meal with these people. And Jesus, even in that moment, is questioned, why in the world do you eat with these people? Why do you welcome tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Now let me give you some context. Because without even talking about the word sinners, just the idea of Jesus hanging out with someone known as a tax collector was unreal. Tax collectors were hired by the Roman government, Jewish people hired by the Roman government to tax the Jewish people. And these Jewish tax collectors would actually price gouge the people and pocket the extra money, and the Roman government didn't care. All they wanted was what was their part. They didn't care how much they upped the price. They didn't care about any of that. So here's these Jewish people collecting taxes from their own people, price gouging them, pocketing the money, and honoring, seemingly honoring more what the Roman government had to say. So these tax collectors were traitors to their own people. Often, uh, even those people, you want to go beyond just tax collectors, the people that interacted with Jesus were often considered immoral. When we say the word sinners, again, it's just about anything you can think. But notice in Scripture, the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. The religious people were the people who wanted to kill Jesus. The religious people were the ones who were mad at Jesus and tried to trap Him in questions and ultimately came down to the point they wanted to take Him out. But here were these people, the tax collectors and the sinners, who were attracted to Jesus. They were listening to Him, they were learning from Him, they were eating with Him, all the above. So I want you to chew on this question. What attracted these people to Jesus that had not caused them to be attracted to what the religious people had to say? Why were these people, tax collectors and sinners, attracted to listen to Jesus and what He had to say? And what in our world today, what would cause people to listen to us and to the truth of Christ we might want to share to them? Let me... Again, my email is chris.cleveland at epag.church. I'll put it on the screen next week for you. How about that? What would cause people to want to listen to us? I, I, just, I just want to suggest today, what if, what if we were kind people who were willing to have relationships that value other people no matter where they're at in life? What if our conversations were legitimately seasoned with salt? What if when people, even, even maybe people who are seeking the truth, because I, I would venture to say that there are a number of people in our world today, they know there's something missing in their lives. They know there's something bigger than what they found. What if those very people come walking onto the campus or tuning in to the online campus of Eden Prairie Assembly? What will they find in those moments? Because let me tell you, 
I think it's great to be a, a, a current church, and, and I think it's great to... I don't even like to use this word because people think the wrong things or assume what I mean, but I think it's great to, to be a quote-unquote modern church. But let me just say to you today, I also know without a shadow of a doubt that mere lighting, and even if we gave a cup of coffee to every one of you in the 9 a.m. service, that's not what's ultimately going to change people's lives. It's an open door. But what's really going to be attractive, if we can use that term... Now, I know what some of you are sitting there thinking. Well, Jesus said that people are going to be offended by the gospel. That's true, but there are some that may be right on the verge of accepting it. We can't put everybody in the same boat. That's what makes this conversation really kind of messy. It's because other people... There are some people who may be... uh, handed over to their reprobate and depraved mind. There may be people who are past that point of accepting the gospel, but there may be many people who someone has planted a seed and watered a seed, and they're so close to coming into Jesus. In fact, Jesus told some people in His earthly ministry, you are near to the kingdom of God. Are you guys tracking with me this morning? So what if, what if when people look for truth, that rather than us... Uh, erring on the end of truth to the point that we say, uh, you've got to look like us and sound like us and smell like us and be like us and be the same color as us and live the same way we do. What if instead of giving all of these lists of rules and things that have to be met before people can seek truth, what if we'll just be an authentic people who are not one way in church and another way in life? What if we'll just be a kind, loving people, a consistent people, a people that are full of the power of the Holy Spirit to the point of overflowing our lives so as we've said for weeks and weeks now that when people interact with us and people bump into us, what comes out of us is the love of God towards them. What comes out of us is the work of the Holy Spirit towards other people. Jesus called even the outcast of society to follow Him. Now let's be clear, Jesus did not, hear me clearly, Jesus did not participate in sin. You cannot find a place scripturally where that's the case because it didn't happen. The Bible says plainly, He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. He was sinless. That's the whole point of why He was the one who died on the cross. He committed no sin. He didn't participate in the sin. But if you study Jesus' interactions with people, He did eat with people, and some of those people had not yet committed to following Christ. He did interact with them. He did talk with them. He did walk through open doors of opportunity with people. So I pose another question for you to consider. The first question was, what... What attracted people to listen to Jesus? What would attract people to listen to us that we might be able to share the gospel in relationships? The second question I want you to ponder with me. Do we have a tendency to spend time only with those who know Jesus? When is the last time you've welcomed a neighbor, a co-worker, family member, a friend, someone who you've interacted with somewhere along the way in the journey that maybe doesn't know Jesus, when is the last time you've invited them to the table for relationship and conversation and food 
Or do you live in a way that you only ever act with, react or hang out with within the body of Christ? That's a challenging question for us. Because I like hanging out with you. I mean, really. It's good to be together. It's good to, to spend time with like-minded people. There's scriptural precedent for that. To spend time with like-minded people. To, again, be encouraged, be motivated, be strengthened together in the body. The New Testament is full of that evidence. But if all we ever spend time with, just hear me, if the only people we ever spend time with are the people that are already walking with Jesus... How do we help other people walk with Jesus? How do, we, how do we fulfill the Great Commission to go and make disciples if we're always hanging out with the disciples? How do we point people to Jesus without interacting with them? How can we disciple and be on a journey with people if we have isolated ourselves from the culture? All right. We're going to stop there for today. Lots to chew on in this series. Lots to consider. I'm going to ask you today, if you would, to stand with me if you're in the room. And if you're online, I want to challenge you to take a moment and to pause with us as well for this time. I'm going to ask you today to bow your heads and to close your eyes. And if you've been here before, you know I don't do that just out of a ritual. I'm doing that because I genuinely want this to be a moment where you're able to say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? God, what are you trying to say to me today? And I want to start just, just briefly today. I feel like if I didn't offer this, then I would be missing the point because we've talked so much about Jesus and his earthly ministry and how he interacted with people. We've even celebrated what he did through his life, death, and resurrection today in communion. So it's only appropriate today that whether you're online or whether you're in person to invite you to follow Jesus as well. That if you hadn't already made that decision, that today you'd make that decision. Here's Here's what you need to know. There's some bad news that you have to know. And the bad news is there's this problem in humanity called the issue of sin. Every one of us are born under that curse of sin, under that lean towards sin, towards rebellion against God, towards doing things our own way. That's the bad news. And it relates to every one of us. But the good news, the truth is that God loved you so much that He sent His only Son, Jesus, to die on the cross so that this issue of sin could be resolved in Christ and you could then be found in Christ by faith and forgiven by grace. And I can tell you today that no matter what you've done or what you feel like you've done or no matter where you feel like you are today, God's grace is sufficient for the issue of sin. So the good news is you can know God for yourself. You can follow Jesus and experience a different life than you've ever known. You can experience forgiveness, 
Grace will save you because of Jesus. Jesus, the truth, will set you free. You can live differently than how you are today, and you can be on your way to a fullness of eternal life with God forever. So I just want to invite you today, wherever you are, that if you want to follow Jesus, and you're recognizing the issue of sin in your life and the need for Christ, that today you would let me know. I'm going to ask there's some people in the room today who can make themselves available for prayer on either side of the auditorium. So if you're in the auditorium, there are people here who will pray with you. Would you go ahead and make your way to your spots today? If you're leaders in the room and a part of the prayer team, you, you know who you are. Would you make your way either side? There are people who are available to pray with you today. And if you want to follow Jesus, there's someone here in this moment that will lead you in that time of prayer and lead you in that time of of repentance and, and coming to Jesus. Now I want to talk to Christ's followers in the room. You're already following Christ and now we're we're living in this tension of grace and truth and how do we live this out? I want us to pray today that God would help us to have a greater value for people than we've ever had before in our lives. That when we see people, maybe the things that have commonly welled up inside of you, maybe the thoughts that you've commonly had, maybe the, let's call it what it is, maybe at moments the judgment that we've had towards people or the thoughts that we've had towards people. I pray today that there would just be a greater awareness and a greater value that every person we interact with is loved by God and is a soul that matters to Him. I would pray today that we would all learn to be on a journey with people in all places of life. And, and I'm, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to pray that with me. Lord, help me to... Help me to see people, but help me to do more than just see them from a distance. And, and even, even though we pray for them, help me to do even more than just to pray for them. But help me to step into a, an appropriate level relationship, a, a grace opportunity of just getting to know them and loving them and valuing them as people. And trusting that in those moments, your grace-filled heart towards them is going to lead into opportunities of sharing truth to them. Help us to see people with love. And let us pray overall in this conversation that we learn to live in a place of grace and truth and be led of the Spirit to know how to live this well. Would you join me in praying, Christ followers, today? Would you just pray with me? Lord, I I thank you for challenging us through the Word. And I know we could all add a lot of different thoughts in this conversation already, but, I'm, but I, I, I believe more than anything right now, Lord, you're calling us to your example. You're calling us to an awareness of people. You're calling us to a place where we step out in fulfilling your desires for us greater than we ever have before. Lord, I pray we would all value people that our heart would be synchronized with your heart, that we could see 
If we can say it this way, Lord, through your eyes, to see people differently, to value them, to know that they have needs, they have concerns, they have burdens, they have cares, some of them without any hope because they don't know you, Jesus. I pray, oh God, break our heart for what breaks yours. And I pray also, Lord, that when you give us those opportunities, that we will walk through those doors with courage, speaking in kindness, but speaking in truth. Lord, that we will be full of grace and truth, that indeed, Lord, we would see you do incredible things through us. We would take those steps of action. I pray, O God, today that throughout this conversation, our hearts will be open and attentive to you and what you would say. I pray, O Lord, you will help us to learn what it means to live with grace and truth. I pray, Holy Spirit, you will continue to change our hearts, change our minds, change how we see things to the point, Lord, that our interactions with people go much deeper. To the point, Lord, that each person who's a part of EPAC will begin to experience what it's like to journey with people more than ever and even to see people saved. Thank you, Lord. Work in us. As we reflect on these thoughts this week and go throughout our week, I pray, God, that you bring these thoughts back to our remembrance, bring these scriptures back to our hearts, Lord, and that we would be attentive, God, to what you're saying. We thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name. I'm going to challenge you today. That maybe you know someone already that you feel like fits that, for lack of a better word, label of, of sinner. Maybe you know someone who's not following Christ. Maybe you know someone who's not with God where they need to be. I, I want to challenge you this week also to be praying for them and to be praying for the opportunities for relationship and praying for the opportunities to share truth and praying for the opportunities for Christ to work through you in those moments. Too. God bless you. Go be kind and let God use you this week.